0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter, at orico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Those are the two accounts where we post out all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content. And I know we're heading into the offseason now, but we are bringing on more writers to produce baseball content for that offseason, and of course, heading into next year as well. So... Send me a DM if you are interested, first of all. Uh, If you guys think you have what it takes to write about baseball, to podcast, and not even just baseball necessarily. It could be basketball, football, hockey. If you're interested in breaking into the sports slash fantasy sports world, please do hit me up over on Twitter. And please do go hit up Ethos Fantasy BB. We're really trying to grow that account out here. Now, we only have three days left in the regular season. It makes it very tricky to figure out uh, how to schedule your pickups and your drops because we don't really know... First of all, for starters, what's going to happen over these next two days? Now, we have schedules who have been announced or starters who have been announced for today and for tomorrow, and some of them even for Wednesday, but I don't have a ton of faith necessarily here. Some sites have still not caught up on certain things. Uh, The score still has it listed as Sandy Alcantara starting on Wednesday. That will not be the case. He's been shut down for the year. He is not starting to be very careful when we're looking at these sites because there's always a ton of news right now about players who will be sitting, random guys who will be getting the start instead. It makes it very hard to plan too far in advance. So I'm going to be talking about some of the best players to add today. We'll do it again tomorrow, and then we'll do that again on Wednesday, which I know is fairly standard. I mean, I, w- I wanted us to do it so we could look ahead for the next few days, but I could talk about all of tomorrow tomorrow's projected starters and then have four or five of them change or, you know, get pushed back or whatever And I would hate to do that to you guys. I hate to do it to myself to look at a guy and say, okay, he's worth an ad for tomorrow. He's going to be getting the start. And then he doesn't end up starting. You burn an ad. Whatever the case may be, you need to really, really prioritize those ads and use them in in the best way possible. So we're going to go through today's games. I'd be very surprised at this point if there are any starters for tonight's games who are changed. We're only four or five hours away from those first pitch times. So I'd expect that the names we see here will be fairly accurate. We're going to go through most of these games. We're going to talk about some of the hot ads and drops, see what makes sense. We'll also talk about a couple of yesterday's top performers, which is where I usually like to start, and we'll do that here today as well. We'll start with Shane Langoliers, who I've been a pretty big fan of since he's been promoted to the bigs. He's been all right. The batting average is not great at .222. He's got six home runs. He's driven in 20. He's 14 runs scored. He's, he's done a totally fine job and catcher. A lot of people have talked about this. We talked about it a little bit with Torres uh, on our show from fr- uh, from Friday. If you guys missed that one, please go check it out. We're talking about how catchers are very difficult, especially in two catcher leagues. It can be, it can be a nightmare. It's not even enjoyable really to try and find, especially a 15 team two catcher league. You need to have like every catcher and baseball rostered at that point. It's not a lot of fun. There are not that many great catchers, but there's a nice little crop of guys coming up right now. Shea Langley is one of those dudes. Now, He's held back from the fact that he plays for Oakland. There's not going to be much of a team there next year. I'm not even sure what to expect from Oakland at all, really. Like, no expectations. Zero expectations. But they're not going to be a good team. They don't have a good home park to hit in. And, of course, catchers, it it can be a bit of a struggle offensively. So, I like Shea Langoliers. I think that he makes a pretty decent late-round option next season. Uh, Even in a one-catcher format, I would probably take a chance if you're getting down to your last few picks and you don't have a catcher. Or maybe you just want to have a guy who can, can be a secondary kind of catcher sitting on your on your bench. I, I would probably take a chance on him there. I would I haven't really put together any rankings yet for next season. I'm a, I'm a degenerate, but I'm not quite at that point yet, although we will be pretty soon. like by, by the end of 2022, I'll definitely have some some... Uh, well, we'll have some rankings done by that point anyway. We won't be fully complete. they'll have to be updated and everything, but we'll have some rankings. But in terms of catchers, where Shay Langolier's ranks? I'd probably put him in that 15 to 20 range right now for next season. Without digging into it so much, I'd probably have him somewhere in that range. So you're coming up on the end of your draft. You missed out on catchers because they were going too high. Rutchman and Varsho and Kirk and JTR, they all shot up too high off the board for you, and you're kind of stuck in your last few rounds. Shaylan Lankleers is probably going to be a fairly decent option. I, I like what he can do. He's not going to be great. Sean Murphy is going to be there, I think. Who knows? That's why I say with the athletics, we don't really know what's going to happen. Obviously, if Sean Murphy leaves, you would assume Langoliers would get even more playing time, although he's still pretty much playing every day right now. Hard to see it going up that much, but I think it would still be a boost for him if he were to get that everyday kind of catcher role. He's not going to be fantastic, but he's somebody that I would probably keep an eye on, uh, especially, like I said, if you're getting later into drafts. You need a second catcher, or maybe you just need your first catcher, depending on the league format. I think Langoliers will be all right. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about James Caprellian. And I always feel like I'm mispronouncing it because it's like Caprellian. I think it's probably Caprellian. I honestly don't watch a lot of Oakland Athletics games. I'll see some highlights here and there. I'll pick and choose what I watch from YouTube, that kind of thing. I honestly say I don't sit down and watch so many athletic games. So I think it's Caprellian. I'm fairly certain it's Caprellian. But anyway, however you say it, he went six innings yesterday, seven strikeouts, two walks, and one hit. No earned runs against Seattle, and he did get the victory. A very nice way to end off his season, a 180 ERA over the last month, which has been 25 innings for him, 22 strikeouts. He's been pretty damn serviceable in that time period. For the whole season, a 423 ERA, a 5-9 record over 134 innings with 98 strikeouts. Definitely been a nice little stretch here to end the season. I wouldn't be jumping at him next year thinking, oh, Caprellian, he really st- finished strong last season. Doesn't give you a lot of strikeouts. A lot of the same arguments there for Langoliers. I mean, the same argument being that it's just a terrible team. You're not going to see a lot of wins. It's going to hurt the offense. It's going to hurt the pitching I mean, the ballpark factor kind of works for him, that it's a pretty decently sized ballpark, but we we know who he is. He's about a four plus ERA, four to four and a half kind of ERA guy in that range somewhere. He's going to be a streamer like he always is. I wouldn't look at these last couple of starts with any kind of different lenses on than you would have if they happened earlier in the year. Uh, He's faced, over these last few games, Seattle, Los Angeles, Seattle. He's done a good job. Great for him. Uh, But we are going to, eh, I don't think many people will, but maybe some people will think about this and reach for him a little higher than they should in drafts next year. I would not be advising it. Let's move on, though, and talk about Teoscar Hernandez, another guy. We talked about this with Boba Shett quite a bit. He was pretty brutal for most of the year. He was very disappointing. He was going to be discounted next year, probably into the third, fourth round. And, you know, I think probably the fifth round would be as low as it would have possibly gone there. But now with Boba Shett, we're looking at probably second round again, maybe even first round in some places. He's ruined that discount that he had baked in. We're kind of seeing that a little bit here with Teoscar Hernandez. Specifically over these last two weeks, he's batting 375 with five home runs. It's not been great for Teo, but if you look at what he's done for the course of the entire season, he's batting 267, 25 homers, 77 RBIs, six steals. It's definitely been a step back for him. Some fewer at-bats. Sure, he's been injured, especially I mean earlier in the year. He missed, I think it was a month or so. I forget exactly how long he missed, but it was about a month. He's never really had that strong groove uh, up until like right now, that we've seen from him in these last couple of years. You got to remember, Teoscar Hernandez has two consecutive silver sluggers for right field. Last year, he had 32 homers and 116 ribbies. He drove in more runs than Vlad did last year, despite you know Vlad getting all the attention. He was excellent. He was really excellent this year. He's not been bad. Like, it's not been a bad season or anything. It's not like you would have drafted him and your season would have been toast because of it. He's still just inside the top 100. He's obviously been a guy you're going to roster. But that discount now, which would probably have put him in, like, round five, six, maybe even round seven, depending on your league size. I could have seen him slipping into maybe the 60s, 70s kind of draft pick. Now I would imagine he's probably going to be going in the 40s-ish. It's, it's hard to say exactly. Like I said, this time of year, uh, you, can, you can drive yourself totally crazy predicting where guys are going to get drafted. But I would say Teo's probably worked his way back up into the 40s, and I think I'd be okay with drafting him there. This has been a down season. No, no question, this has been a down season, but he's still produced. Like a lot of the guys on the Blue Jays have through their down seasons, Vlad, Bo, and Teo, I wouldn't be so worried about him. Like If you have him in Dynasty or something, you see these last week or so, two weeks of great production. I wouldn't necessarily be trying to just sell him off right away. I still think he can have some value over these next couple of seasons. He's not that old. He's got a great lineup around him, obviously. Hopefully the Blue Days just keep adding guys in around him in that lineup. Uh, Tayo's 29, by the way. He's only 29 years old. He should still have a good few years left of value. And he plays a whole season next year. There's no reason for me to think that he's not going to hit 30 home runs again, drive in close to 100, steal between 5 and 10 bases. He's still going to have a lot of value. So, I'm a little torn on him. I think that he might be getting drafted a little bit higher than what we might really want or what might be that sweet spot for him next year. I think it would probably be in the 50s would be a really sweet number to get him in, whether it be your fourth or fifth round pick. Somewhere in that range, I'd really like it. I think he'll probably be a third, fourth guy as opposed to a fourth, fifth guy, which would make me a little bit more nervous. But I think as a whole, I would still be pretty in on Teosca Hernandez here. It's still going to be a great team, and I think everybody healthy. It's a lot to ask for, but he can give you like a top 15, top 20 fantasy season like we saw from him last year. So no no long-term worry here about Teo. Don't rush to sell him because he's been hot for a couple of weeks. If you're assuming this is a dynasty kind of thing, I would just hold on and take that production that he's going to give you next year because it should still be pretty damn sweet. Let's move on, though, and talk about Herman Marquez. I've really liked Herman Marquez this year. I've been an advocate for him as an away-from-coors kind of streamer. Yesterday was an away-from-coors day. I would not have told you to stream him, though. Absolutely not. This was at the Dodgers. But six innings, eight strikeouts, one earned run, three walks, and only one hit for Herman Marquez. It's not been a great season. His ERA, uh, he's not going to pitch again this year. His ERA sits right exactly at 5.00. Obviously, pitching in Coors Field... It's tough to look at that and say this is who Marquez is. For me, I think that he's actually quite a bit better if you look at the home and away splits this season. Home ERA was 670. Away ERA was 343. 19 home runs at home, 11 on the road. The home average against was 317. On the road, it was 204. What does this mean? It's hard to say exactly what this means for Herman Marquez. Am I going to be... Russian to draft him next year? Absolutely not. Uh, I'm assuming, I, I'm not sure about his contract situation. I think he'll still be in Colorado next season. Let me just take a quick peek. Uh, two guaranteed years left. Yeah, he's got one more year in Colorado. So uh, for me right now, I would probably assume that he's going to be traded at some point during next season, maybe in the offseason, who knows. But the moral of the story with him is that if he's away from Colorado I'm pretty damn comfortable in, in sending him out there. Now, the Dodgers start here. You would not have sent him out against the Dodgers. It just wasn't going to happen unless you were very desperate. And maybe you did. You just were really desperate. You needed it, and he, and he produced it for you. Congratulations if that's the case. It's not something that I would recommend ever, really, anybody at Los Angeles for the Dodgers starts. But when he gets away from Coors, he's a different dude. He is a different dude, and he produces. So I, I'm not going to be really so big on him for next season. But when we're talking about away starts, I'm going to try and be streaming him in. You know, if he has a two-start week where both starts are away from Coors, regardless of where he's going, really, I mean, unless we're talking like this, like it's the Dodgers and St. Louis or something, that would be that would be still worrisome. But Herman Marquez, he's he's moved himself in my eyes this season. And it was Michael Govier. Michael Gauvier was the first one I heard talk about this this year would have been a few months back. Uh, I guess it would have probably been June. And he said, keep an eye out for Herman Marquez. You know, He's had some good seasons in the past, but the last couple of years, not great. I know he was an all-star last year, but a you know, 440 ERA it was not good. This year, it's even worse. But like I said, there is room to be optimistic about Marquez heading into next season. I think that maybe he gets traded. If he gets traded, I would be golden. Even if he doesn't, just remember him for those away streaming opportunities. Let's talk about Whit Merrifield because my God, man, like this dude, this last two weeks, he's made me feel like an idiot. I was saying all over the place, drop Whit Merrifield. He's not playing when he plays. He sucks. Well, pretty much since I said that over these last two weeks, he has been playing. He's 16 for his last 38 with four home runs and he's, he's producing. If you just shorten that to the last week, he's 10 for 20, two doubles, a home run, five runs scored and three RBIs. Now, Whit Merrifield this season is still a disappointment. No question you can't classify it any way but a disappointment. He is ranked for the season as the 189th ranked player, which is actually not really terrible uh, after being drafted in the second, third round kind of range. So it's obviously not good. He's made up for it a little bit here, specifically if you are in head to head and you did hold on to him. A lot of people didn't hold on. It went down to into the 60s, his roster percentage, which it was justifiable. It absolutely was justifiable. The dude was not playing. When he was, he was awful. He's primarily a stolen base kind of guy. He wasn't stealing any bases, and still, he hasn't stolen any for the last month. Not good. It's going to make him really hard to draft next season. I think a lot of people are going to be overvaluing him just because, oh, steals, you know, he can still get you steals. He's in a great lineup. And I think people are going to still draft him as a top 100 player next season. At least if you're talking like Yahoo leagues, I would expect that for sure. NFBC players might not do that kind of thing. ESPN probably will take him top 50. Uh, That's probably where his ADP will be. I, I just, I don't like it. I don't like what I've seen. I don't like that he's batting eighth or ninth, not playing every single day. He doesn't steal anymore. The price would have to be so low. The price would have to be like, I'm thinking like 150 to 170 kind of price tag for Whit Merrifield for me to really be interested. I just think he'll be like a Santiago Espinal kind of player next year, which is still good. Espinal had a really good season, but he's not like a fantasy relevant kind of player. Really, a couple homers, a couple steals, you know, decent batting average. That's probably what we're gonna get out of Whit, best case. So, I'm I'm gonna be staying away unless he really really falls down in drafts. Let's talk about Mike Trout. Mike Trout, the dude just, it's hard to know even how to properly adore the dude. Uh, Yesterday, he hit another home run. He has 39 home runs in 426 at-bats. Like, I think it's 110 games or something for Mike Trout. Let me just take a quick look. I think it's like 100, it's 116 games for Mike Trout, 39 home runs. Oh, man, it makes it so difficult with guys like Mike Trout thinking about next season, where to draft him. I have no idea, given like right here today, I have no idea where I would want to draft Mike Trout. Logic would tell you he's still going to be a top 30 draft pick. He's still going to be somewhere in those first two, two and a half rounds, depending on how big your league is. I think top 30 is all but guaranteed. But is it going to be worth it? That's the whole other side of the question here. He doesn't steal bases anymore. We've seen him go down with a couple of injuries. The batting average is not quite as high as it once was. 282 is hard to complain about, but you'd hope for 300 for Mike Trout. Let's try and do some live projections here real quick for what, what I expect from Mike Trout next year. So I would expect with this back problem that he continues to miss games, that his average continues to go down a little bit, and that this power will probably not stay. Thirty-nine home runs that he's hit over four hundred and twenty-six at bats. That's more than a fifty home run pace over the course of a full season. He's never hit fifty home runs before. So I don't think that we can expect that as he gets into his thirties now with the back problem, that he's going to just keep hitting more home runs. He's great. It wouldn't totally out of the I mean, it's possible it's Mike Trout, but it would it would very much surprise me if he keeps up this home run pace. So let's say those thirty-nine home runs go down to about 30 let's call it 30 home runs with a 270 batting average runs and rbis are very hard to predict let's call it that's a brutal team around him 80 runs and 90 rbis something like that to go along with what we're going to be expecting to be zero stolen bases so to recap we have a 270 average 30 home runs uh 80 runs 90 rbis and no steals that's maybe I'm wrong, but that, I think that that's pretty damn close to what we're going to get out of Mike Trout next season. I might even be over-projecting those RBIs and runs. Maybe he doesn't get 80 and 90. Maybe it's 70 and 80. Maybe it's 75-75. It's really hard to say on a bad team, projecting a guy who is going to have injury problems. Uh, it's. I mean, Mike Trout's one of my favorite players ever. I love watching the guy. I've followed his entire career, but... I don't know that he's going to be the greatest fantasy asset next season, specifically if he's drafted in the first two rounds, which is where he's probably pricing himself into with the way he's played recently. I think if you're getting him in round three or four, then it's probably going to be worth it. But like I said, just remember, it's going to keep getting a little bit worse and worse, as awful as it is. He doesn't steal any bases. This kind of home run production is not really realistic. Can he hit 280 again? Sure, he could hit 320 next season, and it wouldn't shock me. But I think we're probably going to see some regression there continue to happen. If he finishes as a top 25-30 player next year, I'll be very surprised. Now, even with the time missed this season, uh, Mike Trout is currently ranked at 43. 43, given not the greatest scenario with the missing time, but the home runs have been about best case scenario. Is he going to beat 43 next season? I, I hope so, but I'm I really you can probably hear it in my voice. I just don't have a lot of confidence projecting him. I love the guy, but I worry, I worry about what we're gonna be getting from him drafting him next season. Specifically if you go in the second round, it's gonna be dicey, man. I would try and I'm hoping that we get him in the third or the fourth or even maybe later, because it's gonna be it's gonna be a little dicey. But I do wanna move on here. I do wanna talk about some of the most added players today. All of them, surprise, surprise, are pitchers. At this point, if you have bats in your lineup, you're probably just going to hold on to them. There might be one or two nice little matchups you see over the next couple days or a nice, act, like, you know, even just one game where you add a guy for, he's facing a bad pitcher, hope for the best. But for the most part, these ads are starting pitchers that are going to be going tonight. So we're going to talk them through here. Starting off with the most added player today, almost 10,000 Yahoo! leaks have added him. I'm surprised that there's that many leaks still going, really. But Bryce Elder, Bryce Elder is our number one ad today. He is up to 25% rostered. In the time I've been recording this clip, he's gone up from 24 to 25. He was at 4% last week, but obviously the main event last week was him going nine innings, shutout ball against the Nationals, striking out six, getting the victory. His previous outing was five and two-thirds against those same Nationals, six strikeouts, one earned run. So he's done a really good job against some shitty teams. That's number one. Number two... Marlins, I mean, they're yes, they're a shitty team, but are they quite as bad as the Nationals? I wouldn't say that they are. And expecting this kind of thing over and over and over again from Bryce Elder might be asking for trouble. I do think that he's probably one of your better options today. There's not so many great pieces that are widely available. But there's definitely some risk associated with it. Like, we can't just assume that Bryce Elder is going to be an elite pitcher now. He's, he's not bad. Uh, he's still kind of too young to really figure out what he's all about. I like him okay. Here, he's probably a pretty good option, but it's there's heartbreak written all over it. You, know, you add somebody up after these three, four good starts in a row because you're, you're confident in them, right? I mean, they did well against some poor teams, but they're playing a poor team today, so <clears throat> you're not so worried about that. It's just the fact that it's the last couple of days of the regular season here. You might want to make the argument that just go with your guys that you already have. There's definitely something to be said for not taking too many chances here. There are a couple names we're going to talk about who I feel maybe a little bit better than Elder. But it's a general theme, uh, I think, for me over this last week, over this last, even going back to last week where, you know, you're looking at pitchers to add and some of them might look really good. Some of them might have great matchups. They've been on a great roll. And then it's just shit happens, right? And that'll happen with waiver wire pitchers. You know, guys who are less than 20%, 30% rostered. They're, they're less than 20 30% rostered for a reason. When you're getting down to these last week, two weeks, even maybe three weeks of the regular season, a viable strategy can be, given the opponent, to just go with the guys you have to mitigate some of that risk. Specifically, if you're talking like 10, 12-team leagues, you have your pitching staff mostly set. Maybe you're rotating guys in here and there. Everybody's different. But there's something to be said, just to plant the thought in your head once again, of just taking a look at who you have, seeing your starters that you have these next three days and saying, I'm probably okay there now some people are not going to go that way a lot of people probably most people are going to be adding up a a shit ton of players these next two days I can kind of understand it maybe you want to be adding them and not starting them specifically just you know take them away from your opponent if you have the ads left that's a viable strategy also worth mentioning I think is that Wednesday will probably be a total crapshoot I said that at the beginning but you don't know who's going to be starting, who's going to be in lineups. Wednesday's going to be kind of tough, so maybe you want to get your streamers out of the way these next couple of days. But I think, you know, looking at a lot of these names, they're pretty good names. Wesneski, Ober, Quintana, Glass Now, George Kirby, Hunter Green, Carlos Carrasco, they're good names. And some of them, you know, Kirby, yes. Kirby, I would 100% be confident starting. Hunter Green, maybe not 100, but pretty damn close. Uh, Quintana... Pretty damn confident against Pittsburgh here. But if you're just looking at the guys you already have on your roster who are going tonight, I don't know. Maybe you have Lance McCullers. You have Nola. Maybe it's maybe it's Barrios, and you're feeling very nervous, understandably. Maybe it's Martin Perez, or maybe it's Brandon Woodruff. There's a lot of dudes going tonight. There's I think there's 15 games tonight. You don't have to stream, necessarily. And this goes back to a point of mine that – I mean, I should probably get it tattooed at this point of the season. Don't stream because you want to, because the matchup looks good, because, yeah, this is a good matchup, and the guy gets strikeouts. Just only stream if you've looked at your categories or your points, and you've kind of roughly figured out what you need. If you need to add on a little more than stream, if you're just streaming because I like the matchup, I have ads left, you're asking for serious trouble. So we'll keep going through these names. I didn't mean to go on a tangent there. You guys know that it happens every now and again. I like Bryce Elder. I like a few of these names, but just really take a look at who you got. The next name being added up, I'd probably stay away from him here despite how good he's been, uh, is Hayden Wisniewski. I like Wisniewski. He's been really good these last couple weeks. He probably helped some people to their league titles. But here against Cincinnati, at Cincinnati, I think we're asking for trouble here. I would not be adding him. That's pretty much what it boils down to. Nothing too deep here. It's just the fact that it's at Cincinnati. A win is Kind of hit or miss when we're talking about the Cubs here. They're not a great team. It may, maybe he gets a win. They're a better team than Cincinnati. But it's you know it's really far from guaranteed that we're going to get good production here. Last time out, he only had three strikeouts. It was against Philadelphia. And the start as a whole was pretty good. But we've also seen six, seven, and three, and eight. We don't really know what we're getting strikeout-wise. could be very good. It could be very ugly. There's just too many variables here with Wesneski. For me, I'm just going to be leaving him alone. No need to be grabbing him up. Unless you're really, really desperate, you're already down in your, in your ERA, in your whip categories, you need some wins, maybe you just need a couple strikeouts, he would be definitely in the desperation play kind of category for me. Even though a lot of people would probably not classify him as such because he's done well, uh, the matchup here is just a little too risky for me. The next guy being added is Bailey Ober. He's coming off of a really good start, which was followed by a bad one. Before that, it was a good one. It's, again, a little bit too risky for me here with Bailey Ober. You're not getting a hell of a lot of strikeouts. He has given you pretty good ratios, and the matchup is not bad against the White Sox. But it's really risky. These top three guys, if I had to pick one, I'd go with Elder, I think. But really, really risky ads, specifically like last week of the year. It, all it takes is one bad outing and your season is done. All your planning and prep going back maybe to January or February or March or maybe even April. Who knows when you really started prepping for this. But you might throw all of that away because of one really risky start. And I know it could happen on a, <clears throat> on a Kershaw start, on a DeGrom start. It could happen on a Verlander start. But you've got to try and maximize the opportunity for success. These guys at the top of the list here today, very, very risky. The first guy that I'm feeling like pretty confident about where I'd say, yeah, okay, go ahead and stream him, is Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana has found a new gear since being with St. Louis. We're looking at, I think his last five or six starts have been really good, specifically a couple times ago against the Dodgers. I dropped him ahead of this start against the Dodgers, and then he went six and two-thirds, shutout ball, got the victory, striking out six. He's gotten more strikeouts recently. He's not a big strikeout guy. But over the last month, he's striking out about a batter per inning with elite ratios and a win, it seems very much likely here, against the Pirates for St. Louis. So Jose Quintana, I think that he is the safest name on this list, especially considering his availability. Only 50% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. He's been great. I mean, taking down the Dodgers there is the most impressive thing for me. And it can happen kind of as a fluky thing. You know, maybe there's just one good start against the Dodgers and and then you kind of just go back to shit in the bed. It does, it can happen. Not that it does happen, it can happen. But we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive starts where he is not allowed more than two runs. And the start before that, it was four runs, but they were not earned. So the last time he gave up more than two earned runs in a start was July 15th at Coors Field. It's been really good for a long time with Jose Quintana. I'm really confident in him here. If you can still grab him, I would go ahead and grab him. Tyler Glass now. He is our next guy here. Now, it's Boston at Fenway, which it can be risky. Boston this year has not been not been the scariest of teams, but at Fenway we know that that ballpark can produce a lot of runs. With Tyler Glass now, he was pretty good in his first time back. It was 3 innings, 1 run, 3 strikeouts against the Guardians. I just don't think he's going to go deep enough where it really makes sense. I mean, maybe he gets, what was it, 50 pitches he threw last time out. Maybe we see 65, 70 for Glass now. Maybe. I'm just, I feel very, very nervous with a lot of these names here. There are a lot of variables in Glass now. I mean, this one might be the riskiest. The Rays have already guaranteed a playoff spot. They're just trying to work him up a little bit more. I'm thinking like 70 is the absolute farthest they're going to possibly push him. So we're looking at like the best case scenario for glass now is probably five innings. Absolute best case scenario. And even that would surprise me. They don't don't even need to be doing this. This is just about getting him more accustomed to major league hitting again after missing the whole year. Three innings, four innings, maybe five at best. I don't think I have a lot of faith in Tyler Glass now, though. Like, if he was more stretched out and this was just, you know, he'd thrown 26 games this year already, this was 27, then absolutely you throw out Glass now. Gives you elite strikeout numbers. Boston has not been great as a whole, sure. But this time of year, Glass now is not really stretched out. Only let him go three innings last time. I just don't have a lot of faith that we can really get a great outing from him here. I think it's too risky last week of the season. It would be a total desperation play, but he is fairly available. 34% rostered. If you want to make that play, then he's probably still there, but I, I think I would advise against it in almost every single case. George Kirby is the next guy being added up. Now he's at 68%. This one is not going to be for everybody, but George Kirby, he should be at it. If we're being honest with ourselves, Detroit, that's just a perfect matchup. Obviously, it's at home. If it was at Comerica, we'd like it a little bit more. But George Kirby has just been my dude this year, man. I know a lot of people dropped him after that Oakland start. It was a tough timing, obviously, September 22nd. But they got to DeGrom. They got to Kirby. That, for something something in my head there, I was like, all right, they got to DeGrom. I don't really care that they got to Kirby. It happens. For the year, he's still got a 3.21 ERA, 128 strikeouts in 126 innings. And, you know one start we'll throw away that one start it happens most of the year really the entire year he's been great quality starts pretty much every time out now I'm kind of curious about their playoff order of starters I don't know that this if this has been announced or not I haven't heard anything but if we're gonna see I don't know what the order is going to be for them if it's going to be Castillo and then Gilbert and then Kirby and then I, I don't know like you could literally throw them in a hat and pick them out and I don't think you could really go wrong there necessarily Maybe Gilbert goes first right now because he's coming off of a few really good starts. It's it's really hard to say. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Gilbert had a really good start last time out, and then there was a bad one. But before that, really strong. I mean, they've got four really viable, strong starters that you could throw out there on the first day of a playoff series. And we've mentioned this once or twice, but I think that you, that you could make an argument that they have as strong of a staff there as the Mets. Um, i I think you probably could. The Mets' top three is better, but having that fourth guy, the fourth guy for the Mets would be either Carrasco or Walker. I I think I would probably take Seattle's rotation right now as being the best in baseball. Maybe I'm wrong. I think that that's pretty fair, though. Like, they have just been that good. The fact that a guy like George Kirby, only 68% rostered still. I know that's not so much a Seattle thing as, like, a Yahoo fantasy thing, but Jesus Murphy. Like, he could be the ace of a lot of staffs in baseball. And here he is, likely, probably slotted in as the fourth guy. But he should be added up if you can still get him today against the Tigers. It's a great matchup. I would be doing it 100%. Hunter Green is the next guy. Now, Hunter Green, the dude has been just lights out over the last month. He's thrown 17 innings, 29 strikeouts, a 106 ERA, and a .94 whip. Now, this one comes in that same great American ballpark that we warned about Hayden Wisniewski earlier on feel a little bit better about green mostly because the strikeouts will be there i mean even if he does give up some runs you will get strikeouts from hunter green it's just it's going to happen with maybe he gets blown up maybe he doesn't but the strikeouts are, are big variable there with green you can pretty much bank on at least like seven strikeouts regardless of how long he goes chicago really not a great team now the great american factor really does worry me Hunter Green has been home run pro in a bit this season, and it could be just a disastrous way to end off and, you know, really set him back. But maybe that would be nice for his draft price next year, but it would really not be great for your fantasy teams. I like him here, despite the worries about the ballpark. The matchup, very good. Chicago, I mean, they are a better offense than Cincinnati's offense, but we're still not talking about any any great bats going on there. Seiya Suzuki's been kind of interesting, but not not the greatest of offenses, I would be pretty okay with sending out Hunter Green with the strikeouts and his recent play being the the main reasons behind it. And it might sound a little bit contradictive if you're saying, well, what about Hayden Wisniewski's recent play? Like, why doesn't that factor in as much? Well, we're only looking at three starts that he's made the entire season with Wisniewski, where Hunter Green has been in the bigs the entire year, little things he can get more adjusted to. It is his home park, and the strikeouts are a lot more consistent with him. So as a whole... I'm taking Hunter Green. Maybe some people will go with Wesneski. It would be understandable, but for me, I'm typically going to go with the guy who can give you those elite, elite strikeout numbers. One more pitcher we will talk about who is going tonight, who you might be able to get your hands on, is Carlos Carrasco. Now, this one definitely has some risk associated with it. Coming off of a couple of bad starts in a row, Miami and Milwaukee. Now, the silver lining here is that this one is against Washington. A win is probably pretty likely, I would say, for the Mets. They're coming off of a horrible, horrible, horrible weekend series with the Braves where they were swept. Awful stuff. I mean, they've pretty much guaranteed that they're not getting the division at this point. Uh, they're two games back. Uh, miracles do happen. I just expect them to be very upset with themselves and come out absolutely firing, specifically on offense, and that should be good for Carrasco. I would expect them to get a win Probably you're looking at anywhere from six to 10 strikeouts, probably against Washington. Uh, his last time he had a really big strikeout game was two starts or three starts ago against Pittsburgh where he had 11. He's still capable of doing that kind of thing. He's still striking out about a batter per inning. and He's won 15 games this year. That just shows you what happens when you pitch for the Mets. A guy like Carrasco can become very valuable specifically against a team like the nationals. So I'm going to do this now for the next two days. Wednesday, we will get really, really into it for the last day of the regular season because I really don't know what to expect in terms of the starters. Um, Toronto had talked about Manoa, but I don't think Manoa's going to go. Like I said, Sandy Alcantara is still scheduled here to go on on Wednesday. Max Freed, I doubt he's going to go. DeGrom is scheduled on Wednesday. I'd be surprised if he went. Yu uh, Darvish, I've heard talk that he might go, he might not go. Corbin Burns is another one. There are a lot of really, really quality guys going on Wednesday that we don't really know what's going to happen with them. And, of course, Shohei Ohtani is another guy there going Wednesday. So we will check in. I will try and keep you guys updated as much as I can over on Twitter and on the pod here. We'll do we'll do as much as we can. Discord as well, uh, just to try and keep you guys up to date with any last-minute changes that might be happening because almost guaranteed there will be some little changes. Before I let you guys go, I want to give you my matchup of the evening. We're down to the last couple days of these matchup of the evenings, which will make me very sad when they're gone. At the same time, it'll be kind of nice to just look back on the year instead of having to keep up with it. But I'm I'm going to miss these for sure. But tonight, I'm going to be giving you the Phillies and the Astros. Aaron Nola and Lance McCullers. Now, this one's interesting on a few different levels for me. First of all, we got a couple of stud pitchers going up against each other. That's always fun. Aaron Nola has been just brilliant this year. I've loved rostering him. He bounced back in a big way. Despite having a 10-13 record, he's got a 3.36 ERA, a .98 whip, 226 strikeouts. He's done a very good job for you. Lance McCullers, on the other side, after having missed most of the season, he's made seven starts. He's got a two thirty eight ERA, 45 Ks, in 41 innings. It's, it's just two great pitchers. So that's the first thing. Second of all, we got some playoff implications still to be dealing with here in the National League. The American League pretty much wrapped up. I think um, home field is still up for debate in a couple of different places. But in the National League, the Phillies and the Brewers are separated by two games here. The Phillies eighty-six and seventy-three. The Brewers eighty-four and seventy-five. This last series will determine who gets into the playoffs, who doesn't. The Phillies win tonight with a Brewers loss, and that would be game over for um, that be game over for Milwaukee. Aaron Nola goes out, puts on the big boy pants and does well, then that'll be it. We won't have to worry about it. Now, the Brewers, if the Brewers go out there and win these next few games against Arizona, then they might get into the playoffs. They have Woodruff going tonight. On Tuesday, they have Lauer. And then Wednesday, as of right now, Corbin Burns is scheduled for that start. Now, you have to assume that if they are eliminated from playoff contention, Corbin Burns will not be getting that start, which is, I mean, that would be my assumption. That's just me. No one has said that to me. I haven't heard that, but that would be what makes sense, I think, unless Corbin Burns just really wants to throw one more time this year, uh, that would be, I think, what happens. But this uh, wildcard series or wild card race could really come down to the last day of the regular season. Let's say the Phillies lose the next two, Brewers win the next two. Uh, then we're going to be looking at 86 and 75 records going into the last day of the regular season. And hypothetically, if it does get down to that, we mentioned it already that Burns will be facing Merrill Kelly. And in the Philadelphia series, it will be Bailey Falter and Framber Valdez. If it does get down to the last day of the regular season, which I'm kind of rooting for, I think all baseball fans kind of are that kind of drama. Of course, we remember, what was it, 10 years ago when there was all that drama with the Rays and the Red Sox and the Orioles on the last day of the regular season. It was capped with a Longoria home run. It was a lot of fun. You'd love to see those. Maybe even, was that game 163 maybe? I remember it was either the last day of the regular season or like they added a game As a tiebreaker. I think it was I think it was game 162, now that I think about it. But that last kind of the the last day or two of the regular season, that kind of excitement is really fun. It really gets the average casual kind of fans more involved in the game too, which is always our goal with baseball, trying to build it up a little bit more and more as it is. And we're also trying to build up sports ethos a little bit more and more than it is right now. So go check out our website, sportsethos.com. There is a ton of stuff right now available, and I don't like to do the whole salesman kind of thing, but once a year this is kind of the time when we do it. over at sports ethos, we try and sell as much as we can to keep the lights on for the other few months of this, or <laughs> the other 11 months of, this, of the year. There is just so much to offer over there, specifically talking about fantasy. But even if you're just talking about wagering, there's draft guides for the NBA. I mean, there's the NFL one still, which is included in the NBA passes. The NFL is all wrapped up into one. There's the wager pass, the NBA off-season pass. There's a DFS pass, the NBA in-season pass, which will open up in a couple of weeks, obviously. There are a ton of options. The Brewski 150 is also out. It is available. It is awesome. Aaron Brewski does an amazing job with that every single year. And there may still even be coupons. I mean, every day we seem to be Um, let me just make a quick check here. I don't think there's a coupon currently active, but we have our projections. Aaron's released his projections. They're on the website as well. They're in the fantasy pass and in the draft guide. So for those of you who are going to be playing fantasy NBA, myself among them, you should go and check out these passes. They are not expensive. They will really help you to win your leagues. Last year, Bruce was ahead of the game. He's ahead of the game every single year. Just go check out SportsEthos.com. That is where all the stuff is available, and it's really, truly worthwhile. Go follow me on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and specifically, you know what? Forget about mine. Go follow at EthosFantasyBB. That account is where we will post out all of our off-season articles and podcasts and Twitter stuff. I mean, as well as my own account, I'll try and reshare everything that we do, but we're bringing on more and more people here at Sports Ethos every single day. They're going to be producing content. I'm not going to be able to keep track of all of it because we're going to have so many people writing articles and doing that sort of thing. And they will be posted out on Ethos Fantasy BB. So please do go give it a follow. That is where you'll keep up with our work. All that stuff will be free for the time being, maybe down the line. We'll do some stuff like they do on the NBA side. But for right now, all of our baseball stuff is free for everybody. So please do go check it out. Leave a five-star review on the podcast. Rate, download, subscribe, leave a comment. Do all that great stuff. We'll see you again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody.